The following audio is from a sermon series for the season of Advent entitled Songs for the Savior. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Micah 5:2 and Luke 2, 8-20. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. We are in our Advent season, of course. We're doing a series, (coughs) excuse me. And we're calling Songs for the Savior. Uh, Basically, what we're doing is we're taking a popular or maybe a famous uh (coughs) Christmas hymn, and we're kind of breaking it apart, kind of um, studying it a little bit, and more importantly, studying the text of Scripture, where that uh, song came from, okay? And this morning, we're going to be talking about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, a, a hymn that was written by Charles Wesley. Crazy thing, it was written about a year after he became a follower of Jesus, or actually, a year, I'm just going to say a year after he became a Christian, <laughs> he kind of was following Jesus before that. He was very religious, uh, but the gospel hadn't changed his heart. I want you to know right away there's a difference between religious and being a Christian. And one night, God saved him, God re- uh, regenerated him, took out his heart of stone, gave him a heart of flesh, and about a year from then, he wrote this song. Well, he kind of wrote this song, because if you know anything, oh, I better not say this, if you know anything about the Wesleys, their theology was a little wonky, okay? And so this great guy, George Whitfield, okay, came alongside Wesley and fixed the song for him, okay? He, he fixed the song. He, he made it, he, you know, he, uh, he gave him some better theology, let's say. So this song was written by Wesley and then fixed by Whitfield. So it's a great song that we sing here at Sacred City Church. It's one of my favorite. And what I'm hoping for is as we study this, this uh, song a little bit and, and more importantly study the text that it comes from, I'm hoping that we get a new glimpse of this well-known story that everybody knows, right? My kids, my kids you could ask them, uh, how was Jesus born and what, what happened? And they could tell us, they could tell me the, the right answers, right? They can describe the nativity scene, right? This week we went down to the village of East Davenport and, and got to celebrate Christmas in the village and there was little animals and donkeys and everything running around. It was a great time. But if you ask my kids really what it means, even though my son is quite the theologian, he's probably not going to get down really where we're going to get down to today. I think if we drill down into this story, 
we're going to pull up a lot more treasures than many of us have ever studied. Many of us kind of hear about the nativity and the birth of Jesus. We kind of shrug our shoulders. Yep, I know. Born in a manger. Let's get on to some other more important things, right? But I think there's going to be some great discoveries that we're going to study. We're going to find out this morning. And I'm hoping to, to show you at least two things, okay? Simply two things. Number one, how do you get close to God? I think it's a question uh, everybody asks, every human asks, every culture asks. How do you get close to God? And secondly, um, how do you enjoy being close to God? Those are two different things, okay? How do you get close to God? One. Two, how do you enjoy being close to God? Now, nearly every religion starts here, okay? Nearly every religion in the world starts in the same place. They start with a gap, okay? They start with a long distance between man and God, right? So man is over here, and there's this infinite chasm, and then God is over there. That's where they start, right? It's kind of a universal feeling in the heart of man. You can go to any culture in the world, in any history, or any time in history, and you can find this gap, this feeling of separation between man and God. That's why in every civilization, in all cultures, people have had temples. Every culture has instinctively known that there's a gap between us and God. He's big, we're small. He's perfect, we're far from it. He's strong, we are weak. He's all-knowing, we wish we were, right? There's this huge gap. And temples are the places where men go to bridge the gap, right? Temples are places where men go, where there's some kind of intermediary there. There's a, a, a priest or priestess, right, a, that kind of mediates between God and man. They tell us how to shrink the gap. We feel like God's far from us, and so we go to a temple to find out how can we bring God near to us. In our city, we have temples, we have mosques where Muslims offer their prayers and follow a strict set of moral laws in order to bridge this gap between man and God. Some of those laws, some of those things that they have to obey in order to bridge the gap to be a Muslim. You're commanded to pray five times a day, commanded to dress in an extremely modest way, to fast during Ramadan. Muslims abstain from eating pork, carrion, blood, and alcohol. Additionally, all, any meat that they eat must be properly slaughtered by an authorized Muslim, Christian, or Jew. Muslims only, can only eat with their right hand, eat and drink with their right hand. They have to practice proper hygiene. They have to refrain from non-essential interaction with the opposite sex. They must give 2.5% of all their income to the poor, and they're expected to take a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their lifetime. Now, if you're writing those down, that's a lot of steps, right? That's a lot of steps, that's a lot of requ- and that's just some of them. It's a lot of requirements to bridge the gap between God and man. There are a lot of musts in Islam. In our city, we also have other temples. We have a Hindu temple. Now, Hinduism is pretty dark. In Hinduism and Buddhism, you both, you have karma. A lot of people on Facebook like to talk about karma, right? Karma is the belief that your actions, let me just say it like this, it's your actions determine your destiny. Do good, good things happen. Do bad, bad things happen. Everybody's going to get what's coming to them kind of thing. But with Hinduism, it's a little bit darker than that. In Hinduism, through your behavior, through your good actions, 
You must overcome this gap between you and God. You must overcome. You must be better. You must conquer all your sins, all your selfishness, all your guilt. And you must cross this great gap between you and God. And here's the, here's the negative side. Here's the dark side. If you don't, don't worry. You'll get reincarnated and you have to do it again. And this cycle, this loop of reincarnation continues forever and ever and ever until you can finally be good enough to bridge the gap with your morality. Do you see what these religions have in common? They have a couple things. Number one, they all start with a gap, right? God's over there, man's over here. But secondly, importantly for our study this morning is how do you bridge the gap? How do you get near to God? Well, all of these religions, and indeed every religion of the world says, here's the deal. In order to bridge the gap, this is what you must do. Here's your list. You must perform. You must eat this and not eat this. You must wear that and not this. You can associate with these type of people and not those type of people. You must pray this many times a day facing this direction. There's all these rules, right? And the onus of responsibility is upon man. How do you bridge the gap? Get to work. You must work hard. Listen to this. The last words of Buddha to his disciples before he died, according to the holy books, were strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. You can overcome this self-centeredness, which is the cause of our problems. That was what Buddha said. You can overcome this self-centeredness, if you strive without ceasing. Oh, work without rest. I guess there's only that, right? That's, that's all I have to do? Now, what so many people do is they kind of lump Christianity in with all the other religions of the world. They say, oh, yeah, isn't Christianity the same thing? Yeah, 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 people go to temples to bridge the gap. Isn't that what this is? Isn't this our temple? Isn't that what a church is? It's the temple where man is, you know, we bridge the gap. Maybe, that's, maybe I'm the mediator this morning. That's a good question. And I have a short answer. <laughs> and then I have another answer that's going to take the rest of the sermon to tweak out. Right? No. Let me just answer it like this. No, this building is not our temple. I am not an intermediary. This is not a place where we come to bridge the gap between the finite and the infinite, between man and God. We are not like any other religion in the world. And I think today I'm going to hopefully be able to show you that as we study this story from Luke and the song, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. Open it up on your app. You've got a smartphone, you should have an app. You can look Sacred City up. We've got our own app. You can find a Bible there. The Version Bible app is great. We use the English Standard Version at Sacred City because we believe it's the best word-for-word translation uh, that you can buy. The top scholars of the day have, uh, have created this, book, uh, uh, this interpretation, this, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great Bible. So I'm going to let you get there. When you're there, say there. All right, let's go ahead and read chapter 2, verse 8. This is what the Word of God says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Now, shepherds are not really that religious. They couldn't perform the rules. Let me just tell you that. Uh, They couldn't come to Sabbath. They couldn't stay stay clean according to all the the, uh, 
purification rites of the Jews because they worked with sheep and they were out in the field and when the sheep needed shepherding, they had to do it. Didn't matter if it was Sunday or not. So let me just say the first off that we're going to see the shepherd were unre- they, they weren't completely unreligious or irreligious, but they weren't very they weren't good rule followers. Okay, so let's let's keep reading. And they were they were the working class, right? They're not we're not talking about kings here. They were keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. That's a different night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Okay, so here we go. Shepherds, there's some dirty old shepherds. I'm just going to say it. Some dirty old shepherds out in the field doing their thing, shepherding their sheep, and bam, an angel of the Lord shows up, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. Now listen to this. In 2 Kings 19, okay, in the Old Testament, Israel is about to be destroyed by Assyria. We've been talking a lot about Assyria and the threat that they have been through Jonah and through last week. Now, the king of Assyria has Israel surrounded, okay? And he's mocking Israel. He's taken over all these different nations and he's assimilated them into Assyria. He's just knocking down countries one after another, right? He's, um, he's rocking everybody. Let's just say that. And now he starts mocking Israel and his God and, and, and Israel's God and saying, tomorrow is your day. We're coming to destroy Israel tomorrow. And then Israel's king, Hezekiah, prays to God. He, he begs God to act. He says, don't let these Assyrians come and ransack us. Don't let these Assyrians come and, and destroy us and mock you like this, God. And it's very interesting. What God does is God sends the angel of the Lord, okay? God sends the angel of the Lord, and in this one night, where the next morning Assyria is coming in, is going to ransack Israel, in one night, this one angel of the Lord kills 185,000 Assyrians. Israel wakes up the next morning, and the bodies have hit the floor, okay? Israel wakes up the next morning, and there's dead bodies everywhere, Right? 185,000. They're shaking in their boots the night before. Hezekiah prays to God, and God sends one angel and lays out 185,000 people. Now, think about that. One angel, 185,000 men in one night. Now, imagine that you grew up with this story being told, right? At night, before you put your kids down to bed, let me tell you the story when God killed 185,000 people through an angel. Right? And you kind of, all your whole life, you've kind of heard this story, right? Don't mess with angels. Don't mess with God. Right? And you know, you're, and, and if you're a shepherd, you're not a rule follower. So you, you kind of probably live with this sense that God's probably not okay with me. I don't get to the temple as often as I should. I don't offer sacrifices like I should. I don't obey, obey him like I should. I don't read the Bible like I should. You know, I'm kind of on the outs with God a little bit. You know, God's not really pleased with me. And then one night, With the angel of the Lord in the back of your mind where he showed up and killed 185,000 people, one night, wham, he shows up, right? Now, this does not stir up warm fuzzies in your heart, right? I know when you walk into Hallmark and you see angels, they love pink and baby blue. It's so convenient. So do I, right? No, when this angel shows up, what happens? They fall down flat, right? They are filled with great Fear. Now, you know they're thinking, they're not thinking, oh, 
They're here to welcome me. They're here to warm my heart. They're here to give me some encouraging news, I bet. They think it's over, right? I'm toast. I'm dead. Angel shows up, lights out for me. He knew I didn't come to church this week. Now I'm getting it, right? That's what these shepherds more than likely were, were feeling. Luke said that the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, this is interesting because it kind of speaks to a little bit what we're talking about. What does it mean when the text says the glory of the Lord shone around them? The glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, listen, this is kind of deep stuff, so you're going to track with me here. The glory of the Lord is God's holiness going public. Okay? The glory of the Lord is the holiness of God going public. It's the holiness of God put on display for man to see. What is holiness then? Holiness is his otherness. It's the gap that we're talking about. The gap between us and God. See, he's pure, we're not. He's great, we're not. He's true, we're not. He's holy, we're not. That's the gap. That's the holiness. It's, there's this big gap between us and God. And so when God puts that holiness, that gap on display, we can say we're seeing his glory. When we see how much better he is than us, we see his glory. But here's the deal. The Bible says in the best Jack Nicholson voice you can muster, you can't handle the glory, right? This is bad news for us. That there's a glory gap between us. That we can't stand before God's glory. He's just too glorious for us to behold. It's like going out in the middle of the summer and staring with the naked eye up into the sun. You're going to scorch your retinas, right? It's, you're going to be damaged by it. The sun is too glorious. Well, it's the same with Jesus. It's the same with God, I'm sorry. If we look upon God's glory in its fullness, we would immediately be annihilated. Now, this is a result of sin. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden, people have been unable, listen, people have been unable to be close to God. There's a gap between us because he's holy and we're not. Even Moses, when Moses, we all love Moses. Moses was a great guy, right? Even Moses, when he went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, he asked a very bold prayer. God, show me your glory. God said, no, I'll kill you if I do that. You cannot see my glory and live. But what God do? God hid Moses in the cleft of a rock and he let him see his glory from behind, his hinder parts. Kind of funny. All right? He got to see a backside covered up glimpse of God's glory. That's all Moses could stand and live. And Moses walked away with his face shining, right? So we see, like other religions, Christianity does affirm that there's a gap between us and God. It's a glory gap, right? The, the, visible, the gap is visible in the glory of God. So now, when the angel shows up and he puts some of God's glory, just a glimpse, right, just a mediated glimpse of God's glory. He puts some of God's glory on display. The shepherds appropriately hit the floor in fear and awe. Now, two things I think should happen here or could happen here. One, they all die, right? Happened in the Old Testament. Angel shows up, boom. Sinners are annihilated. 
That could, be, that could happen and that could be appropriate. We've all rebelled. It's a possibility. But here's the second possibility. If this angel is like a mediator here, then, then he, and he's going to bring a new religion, he's going to institute a new religion for humanity to close the gap between man and God, then this angel is about to announce some things that are important. He's about to announce some steps. He's about to announce a ladder. He's about to announce uh, the eight steps to enlightenment. He's about to ask, okay, here's what you have to do to get close to God, right? Angel comes down. He's going to give us some good advice on getting to know this God. You have this ache in your heart to close the gap. You have this yawning chasm in your soul that wants to be filled with the infinite. You try to fill it with money, and it just gobbles it up, and you can never get enough money. You've tried sex, and you can just never get enough sex. You've tried popularity. You never get enough popularity. You tried having kids. After four, you just quit that, right? That gets too expensive. And now, you've got this gap, and it can only be filled by, with God, right? So when this angel shows up, we expect, like all the other religions of the world, we expect him to give us some good advice on filling the gap. Good advice on closing the gap between us and God. But that's not what he does. We don't see this angel give them advice. Hark the herald angel sing. Hark, listen up. That's what hark means. Listen up. Herald, a messenger, a delivery person. And what does he, get, what does he do? Let's, let's read it. Verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not. Okay, thanks. That's good. First off, I'm not going to die today. Let's cross that one off. Now I can breathe. Okay, fear not, for behold, behold, I bring you, look, good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, this is the difference. Here, here we go. We're starting to see the difference between Christianity and every other religion of the world. The angel, the messenger of God, brings good news and uh, not good advice. Good news of great joy. Now, every other religion, we've already said, is basically good advice on how to bridge the gap. If you do these things well, you might get closer to God. If you pray five times a day towards this direction, you might get closer to God. You might get in his good graces. He might not destroy you if you're good enough, if you go to church enough, if you give enough money, whatever these things are. If you do these things enough, you might get in his good graces. But Christianity brings you good news. And he's, this is what the angel says. This is how you know if you're hearing good news versus good advice. Good news creates great joy. Good advice creates this kind of, oh. Good advice feels like a weight on me. Another thing I have to do? I'm already busy and I got to do this now? See, advice just puts a weight and a burden of responsibility upon us and good news creates great joy in us. What is that good news that creates joy, creates great joy? Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is the good news that creates great joy? Today a Savior is born. That's not an advice. 
That's not advice on how to close the gap between man and God. That's news. Today, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born, and he's the Savior who will save God's people from their sin. See, very few people rejoice over good, good advice, but good news naturally, instinctively creates joy in us and makes us want to take it public and worship. Christianity is news. You see what this means? Now, this is, it means that Jesus is our temple. This isn't our temple. Jesus is our, what does that mean? What does that mean? Jesus is our temple. Jesus is the bridge. He's the one who closes the gap. He doesn't give us advice on how to reach him. Jesus shows us that God comes down in Jesus. He bridges the gap in Jesus, the Son of God. See, the Son of God becomes man in order to save us from our sins and bring us close to God. This announcement by the angel of the Lord is the message of the gospel. It's good. That's why it says it's good news of great joy. Good news is the gospel. That's what the gospel means. It's the good news that God has left heaven and came near to us to rescue us, to heal us, to make us and all of creation right again. All the other religions say, here's what you need to do to close the gap. Christianity says, this is what God has done to close the gap. Now you must believe it. Trust in Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the bridge. He's the temple. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was the angel there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. This is an amazing sight. Praising God and saying, so a multitude. We don't even know how many that is, but that's a lot. Okay? So imagine one angel killed 885,000 people, right? And now we've got a multitude filling the night sky. Singing, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, look at this, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, this is the great news of the gospel. How do you please God? Well, let me tell you, you can't. But Jesus has. Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth, lives the life that you can't live, the perfect life, the sinless life, the forgiving life, the gracious life, the God-honoring and God-glorifying life. He lives it, but here, listen, he lives it in your place. He lives it for you, and then when he dies and he's resurrected, he offers us through faith that righteousness to be counted for us. So the only way God can be pleased with us is if we're hidden in the cleft of the rock like Moses, and the cleft of the rock is Christ. It's the only way to be counted righteous. That's the only way God to be pleased with us is not to be good enough, not to be smart enough, not to memorize enough of the Bible. The only way God can be pleased with us if we're hiding in Christ by faith. When the angels, ah, man, I don't even want to, I just want to skip right there. Now, Now let me go ahead, let's go. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, and, you know, a little manger is basically a feeding trough, 
for animals. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now look at this. I want us to see the juxtaposition of what is going on in the fields with the shepherds and what's going on in the stable with Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The shepherds, it's like 4th of July, right? In the, in the, in the, in the fields with the shepherds. We got angels showing up, glory of the Lord. We've got angelic hosts with choirs singing glory to God in the highest. We've got a light display. I mean, this is just nuts, right? Enough that their jaws are dropping. They're falling before the face of God. I mean, this is a life-altering experience, right? Nobody walks into this and goes, oh, that's cool. I kind of saw that last weekend, right? This is game changer. But then... In Bethlehem, in the manger, we don't have any fanfare. In the manger, all is quiet. Right? Angels are singing and rejoicing and trumpets are being... I mean, I can't imagine how... I love it when the, you know, when the bass starts kicking and it gets a little loud and you can kind of feel it in your chest. I like that. But I can't even imagine what it sounds like when an angelic multitude sings. What does that sound... Game changer. And at the same time, Mary's nursing Jesus. Lights are igniting the night sky, and there's two candles in a barn, right? Tiny specks of hay flip through the air. Joseph draws near, picks up his, his adopted son in his arms and feels God's breath on his face. You see the juxtaposition here? Now, if we know anything about glory, this doesn't make sense. Is the glory of Jesus less than the glory of an angel? Right? If God shows up in human form, shouldn't he be like those paintings you see in Catholic museums and stuff that Jesus has got this weird radioactive glow around his face? Right? Oh, your baby glows. Okay. Right? There should be something like this. Glory is tangible. Right? Glory is tangible. Glory is something you can see. He's God become flesh. An angel shows up. People are falling prostrate before him, thinking they're going to die. Angelic multitudes are singing. And God becomes man. And the cows just continue to chew their cud. I just did a cow right there. You didn't know that. Now, what's going on here? Why? Why is there no fanfare? Why is there no angel in the stable? <laughs> Why is there no angel in the stable? Hmm? The writer of the book of Hebrews says this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's how glorious Jesus is. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the perfect imprint of his nature. What God is like, Jesus is like. Why is Jesus not glowing? 
2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, he proclaims the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus is the perfect image of God. And then he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay, so he's saying Jesus is the glory of the Lord. And as we look on the glory of the Lord, we get changed into, we're getting changed by that. So what is this glory of Christ? Why does the glory of Christ like look normal and the glory of the Lord in the angel is shining brilliantly? Now this is, this is what blows our mind. And we kind of see a glimpse of it in Wesley's song or Whitfield's song, whatever you want to say. And he says this, and you sang it a thousand times probably. Offspring of a virgin's womb, and he says this, veiled in flesh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead sees. Veiled incarnate, incarnate means put flesh on. Veiled incarnate deity. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead sees. See, what does that mean? Listen, in Jesus, the glory of God veiled itself in flesh. Listen, the humanity of Jesus is like a filter for us to gaze at the glory of God. Jesus' flesh is like a pair of special lenses that enable us to look directly at the sun. Right? We can study the sun if we have special lenses. We can look at the sun. We can behold its glory if we have special lenses. The flesh of Jesus, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. We can see the Trinity in Jesus. We can see God at work in Jesus. We can behold his glory because his flesh is like a veil. It's like a filter that we can look at. We can see the glory of God and live. We can draw near to him. We can indeed look into his face. We can see God's greatness. We can see his love. We can see his power. Everything about God is manifested in Jesus. God spoke the world into existence, so he controls all of creation. Jesus displays that by walking on water, turning water into wine. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead sees. His power, his eminence, his humility, his beauty. It's veiled. We get it. So when we really want to know what God is like, we need to look at Jesus. And we get to look directly in the face of the glory of the Lord in Jesus. The Gospel of John says in chapter 1, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And he adds this, I love it full of grace and truth. What does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean to be good and try our best and follow all the rules and live like Jesus? No, no, no. That's religion. That's every other religion. That's advice. A Christian is someone who has heard the good news of great joy and that has exploded in their heart. The good news of great joy has melted their heart. We hear the angels say in chapter 2, 
when he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be, look, for all people, but then he says, for unto you. See, the gospel message is personal. For unto you a Savior is born, and that news becomes so personal that the gap is closed, and they can now actually enjoy God. See, Christians don't just deal with God. Christians enjoy God. Jesus becomes the bridge. Jesus becomes my Savior. That I see in him the veiled glory of God. I see Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, God on a mission to save us. I see Jesus full of grace and truth. And his love for me changes me. He melts my heart and fills me with joy. When John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, the truth is we're separated from God. The truth is like all the other religions say, there's a gap between us and God. That's true. But every other religion offers advice. Here's how to bridge the gap. Christianity doesn't offer advice. It offers grace. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus bridges the gap. He came with good news of great joy about the grace of God. And grace, if you know anything about grace, grace changes everything. Grace changes all the rules. Grace changes my relationship with God. I don't relate to him any longer through my good and bad deeds anymore. My relationship doesn't fluctuate on how good or bad I am doing at following the rules. I only prayed three times today. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Grace doesn't change. Grace is consistent because my behavior isn't, my relationship with God isn't based upon my behavior, but upon the behavior of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. Grace is Jesus came to save us. He came to rescue us. He came to bring the glory of God near to us. So let me ask you this morning. Jesus has done all of this. He's traveled this great distance to be near to us, to close the gap. So that we wouldn't just know God as God, but we could know him as Jesus knows him, as daddy, as Abba, as father. And because, think about this, because of all of this, because Jesus closed the gap and Jesus came near to us, James says this, in James 4.8, he says this, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. He's saying, because God has drawn near to us, now you can draw near to him. Does, are, is that happening? Let me be honest with you this morning, or let me ask you this morning. Are you currently drawing near to God? Does nearness and warmth classify your relationship with God? Or is it more like a contract? Is it more like business? Listen to this 18th century pastor and theologian. His name was Daniel Steele. This is what he wrote in his journal speaking of, talking about his prayer life. Every week, 
and sometimes almost every day now, pressure of God's great love comes down upon my heart in such a measure as to make my whole being groan, listen to this, beneath the almost insupportable plethora of joy. God has unlocked every apartment of my being and filled and flooded them with all light of his radiant presence. Indeed, the the inner places of my soul have been touched and its stoniness has been melted in the presence of love divine, all loves excelling. Jesus has become the one altogether lovely to me. That's a man talking about his prayer life. Almost insupportable plethora of joy. He feel, he's praying to God. He's so near to God. He feels the warmth and acceptance of Jesus that he feels this weight of the radiance of joy. He feels almost crushed by God's love for him. God's acceptance of him in Jesus. Every apartment of his being is filled with God's radiant presence. Does that classify? Does that... Is that a good caricature of your prayer life? Would you say, yeah, me too? Probably not, right? See, this is a man who knows what it's like to be near God and enjoy him. Not just deal with his sins, not just get heaven, not just become a moral person. This is what a man who gets what the Westminster Confession means when the perp what is the purpose of man? What is the end of all? What is the end of man? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And John Piper puts those two together and he says, we glorify God by enjoying him forever. See, if we want this, the only way to get it is through grace, right? We just saw that. The only way to get, God's already drawn near to us in Jesus. The only way to draw near to him is through grace. God has made this. Hear hear me this morning. This is a benefit of being a follower of Jesus. This is a benefit of being adopted into the family of God. You can crawl up into the Father's lap. You can feel his love and feel his warmth. This can be a tangible presence, a tangible joy in your life. This is how Jesus has brought the glory of God down to us in himself. He's came near to us. You can know him intimately. And listen, this is a direct repercussion of Advent. God does not want your dutiful, white-knuckle obedience. He doesn't, want, he doesn't need your, your effort and your trying to bridge the gap and trying to be better than others and, and did I do good enough today to, to appease the gods. That's not what he wants. He wants you to enjoy him by trusting and resting in the perfect work of Jesus. Advent just tells us God is not satisfied with that white-knuckled religious relationship we can have with him, that contractual relationship. Listen to this. God's not okay with him being in the periphery of our lives. What does Advent tell us? God comes down to us. He comes near to us, and he doesn't come with the glory, right? 
He doesn't come with this glory cloud where we, we are afraid. He comes humble. We can deal with humble. He comes with the baby. We can deal with the baby. He comes in flesh. We can deal with flesh. Why? So we can draw near. Very few people really want to draw near to the sun. Right? I'm okay here, actually. Quote the message version of John 1. In Jesus, the Word became, the Word put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. See, Jesus moved into our neighborhood. God has pushed His way into our lives. He has come near. Every other religion says you can only have joy if you're doing all the right things. Christianity says you can have joy because Jesus did all the right things. Every other religion says if you want to be close to God, get to work. Here's some advice. If you follow these rules, maybe you can bridge the gap. Christianity is different. It's good news of great joy. Jesus is the bridge. He has brought God near to us. He has made the glory of God manageable. He's filtered it through his flesh so we can enjoy him. And now we have to respond to him. That's what's on us. That's the responsibility that we have. God has came down. God has drawn near. What will you do with that? What will we do with that? We must look at Jesus. We must respond to what he has done and respond in faith to it. We must believe that the gap has been closed. And listen, Christian, we still can live our lives like this, like there's still this gap. Every day it takes faith to believe that the gap has been closed, that salvation has been accomplished for us, that God has been brought near, and he is not upset with us because of our sins and our failings on a daily basis. Through Jesus' virgin birth, through his sinless life, through his death and resurrection, in our place for our sins, God has came near. As Paul says, and and now every time I preach a message like this, full of angst and nervous. So what are you saying, Justin? It doesn't matter how we live. What about all the commands in the Bible? What about all the things the Bible tells us to do? 2 Corinthians says this, Paul, again. How are we changed into the image of Jesus? Through beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Christ. He is at work transforming us into people who look like Jesus. How do we change? How do we grow up? How do we defeat the sins that are holding us back? By looking the glory of God in the face of Christ, by looking at it full in the face, beholding it, meditating on it, praying about it, and it changes us. Now I want you to hear this. What does that mean? Day after day, waking up early, reading our Bibles, thinking deeply about what Jesus has done for us, praying to the Father through Jesus' name, gathering with believers in missional community, taking the Lord's Supper, week after week, listening and receiving the preached word of God. All of these are necessary ways that we can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Listen, none of them are steps. None of them are advice. They are ways that we must respond to Jesus taking the initiative and coming down to be near to us. It's like this, you've been adopted, you've been accepted, now this is how we live, because we're accepted, because we're adopted. The gap has already been bridged, 
God has already come near. Now he's changing our heart as we walk with Jesus. You will never be more accepted by taking communion. You will never be more accepted by coming to church every single week. You will never be more loved by God by reading your Bible more and more. You might feel more loved by God, though. You might be more aware of being loved by God. That's what that means when these are means of grace. You might feel his nearness by doing these things. Advent reminds us the only way sinners could ever glorify God and enjoy him forever is because Jesus came down veiled in flesh. This is our religion. This is Christianity. God came down veiled in flesh so we could love him and so we could see and so we could draw near. As, as believers, first off, we're going we're to take the Lord's Supper here in a moment. If you're not a, if you've never put your faith in Christ, um, I'm going to say, you know, don't take the elements. Take Christ this morning. Don't take the bread. Don't take the, take him by faith this morning. What does that mean? Believe him. Believe that he's bridged the gap, that he came near, that he did what you can't do. And for believers, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to be reminded of the words of Jesus when he said, take this, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this, this cup. This cup that is poured out before you is the new covenant in my blood. It's the covenant. It's the way to approach God. It's the way to relate to God. And Jesus says, everything's changed. The gap with all the religions, everything's changed because my blood, I bridged the gap. I closed the gap. I brought God near through my blood, through my broken body. And I want us to, Christian, Jesus is here this morning. He promises to be here in the sacrament. He promises to be here in spirit. He is present. He promises to be with us and in us, to go with us wherever we go this week. He indeed is near. How will you respond to that? I want, us to, I, I want us to kind of have these two things on Christians. God has came near to you. Are you drawing near to him in warmth, in affection? And if you're not, the answer isn't to try harder. The answer is to believe the gospel. Like, you have a cold, distant relationship with a loving Heavenly Father that came near to you in the Son, and it's cold, and it's contractual. And he's here in the elements, his broken body and his shed blood. He's not holding it back from you. He's not saying, oh, when you get your act together, then you can take me. He's saying, come. And you walk out with him. And you're reminded again of his nearness. You're reminded again of his gospel. You're reminded again that he came down. This is the grace of the gospel. This is the good news of great joy. And I pray that you would believe that and you would be filled with a desire as you leave here today to go be near God, to get in your word and to be near to him and to pray and to meditate and to be in community and all the things that I mentioned before. Let us eat this meal this morning and let's celebrate that God, veiled incarnate deity, veiled in flesh, the Godhead's deity. We can see him in Jesus. Let me pray. Father.
good news is it's too small of a word. Throughout all the time, all humanity, we've had a longing to be in the presence of the infinite. We have this longing in our soul that even good things are never good enough for us. Indeed, only you can satisfy them. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they rest in you because you've made us for yourself. Would we see this morning that Christianity is not another ladder to climb to get to you. It's not another bridge that we must build to get near to you. But Christ is the bridge. Jesus came down. Almost to make I don't want to, almost to make you palatable for us. Make you veiled enough that we can handle it. And Jesus still blows us away. Would you move in our hearts? Would you draw us near through your grace? Draw near to us. Would you fill us with the strength to draw near to you? Fill us with the desire and the longing, like this British minister's prayer. Would that be our prayer? And would that be descriptive of our prayer, of our prayer life, of the warmth? of the weight of your love and acceptance that, that we receive as we communicate with you through your word. I pray that you would save those far from you, give them faith to believe this morning, and those that you've already brought near, that you would fill us with faith to respond. I pray all of this for the glory of God and for our joy. Those two things are so linked together. As we glorify you, we enjoy you. As we enjoy you, we glorify you. Help us enjoy you this Advent season. In Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen.